The law reveals what we are not, what we lack, where the problem is, how broken we are, reveals our false self. It is not capable of making us better, much less of revealing our true self. But the law does have an important purpose. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in this message I've entitled, Law, Matters of Life and Death. On the screen you see, this is an MRI machine. And then there's some a computer hooked up to a car with a hood up. That can't be good. Water test kit. <clears throat> and McAfee Total Protection. We're all familiar with these, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> For computers. What would you call these? What do these things have in common? They are diagnostic tools. They're looking for what? Problems, issues, difficulties. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. And the question is this, is it a good thing if it can only reveal what is bad? Because if you're using any of these, you either already have an issue or a problem or something you're concerned or worried about, or you're trying to make sure that you don't have a problem that might be coming. And, and so, it, now, what, what these also have in common is, they don't fix the problem, they just point it out. They don't fix the problem, they just point it out. And you need to know, I've gone through a pretty major physical challenge with cancer in my neck. And I needed to find out. I needed to know what it was and I needed to have it done. I went through a, a CAT scan, which kind of looks like the MRI machine. Uh, I've never had an MRI, but very similar. And that's what was used to discover the cancer in my thyroid. But at that point, I wasn't healed. I wasn't any better whatsoever, except for knowing what was going on. I understood now, okay, doctor, what are we going to do about this? And, you know, I've told that story. And so, and, and we get this with all these areas. If my car isn't running right, let's find out. Let's hook this up to the computer and see what's going on. You've got to change this, got to fix that. That'll be $835. Thank you very much, right? It's, it's never cheap. Water test. I want to make sure my water is clean and no bacteria, and I don't want trouble with these machines we use every day to make sure there's no viruses and hacks and malware, etc. But none of those things make it better. They just tell me what's wrong. And yet, those are good things because of the diagnosis. Now, I said all of that to compare that to the law. The law meaning... Specifically, as Paul writes about it, he's writing to people he himself, as a Jew, understood this very well, especially as a former Pharisee. He understood the law of Moses better than most of his Jewish friends. And so he's pointing to that, and, and I have a, 
a graphic here. It's kind of small, but just the idea of the Ten Commandments, that's part of the law of Moses. It's, it's the most familiar aspect of the law of Moses, Exodus chapter 20. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. But as a whole, what does the law do? It diagnoses. It does what the MRI machine does, what the water, kit, water test kit does, what McAfee does. It reveals if there's a problem, but it doesn't fix the problem. So the law, is it a good thing if it can only reveal what is bad? Well, yes, because we need to know. But that also leaves us in that place where, all right, I know there's a problem, but if there's nothing that I can do about it, if I can't be, have this situation resolved, if I can't be healed, if I can't be changed, then maybe I'd be better off not knowing at all. This is what the law does for our hearts and lives. So it's important but it's limited. So the law is not life-giving, first of all. Let's go to Romans chapter 7, but again at verse 1. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by a... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Now, I want to point out, first of all, two words at the beginning of verse 2 there. It says, for example, what Paul is not doing here in verses 2 and 3 is reiterating or establishing law about marriage and divorce and adultery. That's not the point. That's not the context. That's not his purpose. He's just drawing on something that everyone would understand to make a larger point. Too often, and maybe some of you have been victims of this, people take a verse like that out of context and then whack people over the head with it about marriage and about divorce and about adultery. And, and there are standards for all of those things in the Word of God, but, but th that isn't the point of this verse. Okay? So, so, so don't draw that out of Romans 7, all right? Look at what Paul is doing with it. He's saying, for example, if a woman's married and her husband's died, she's no longer bound to him. That's how it is with us and the sin system. The law, as I talked about last week, is how if we are no longer bound to the law because there's something better that we can turn to, that we can draw life from, that we can live in, namely Jesus the Christ and following him and what he's done for us, then we don't have to live like that anymore. We're no longer bound to that anymore. We have a new source, a new foundation to live by. That's what he's getting at here. But the law itself is not life-giving. It shows the problems of life. It shows the struggles of life. And, and obeying rules is, is, 
helpful certainly to a certain extent, but it's all about prevention from the bad stuff. It doesn't really necessarily introduce and bring in the good stuff by itself. So the law is not life-giving. But secondly, then, Christ's death is my death. Look at down at verse 4, just the first part of verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Pause there in the middle of verse 4. You also died. This, this book of Romans, as I've shared every week and already mentioned today, it's written to a church in Rome, was having division problems. And part of the division was based upon an insistence that people obey law or how they apply the law of Moses into their lives as a church, into their lives as believers and followers of Jesus. What do you do with that? Paul's teaching about that. He did something very similar in another letter called Galatians. Galatians wasn't written to a church. Galatians was written to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. It would almost be like Paul's letter to the churches of the Poconos, okay? Although not that many, but still, there was, was probably between seven and ten churches in, in, in the area of Galatia that Paul was writing to, because they had a common problem in that region. There was a false teaching going on there about a law problem promoted by the followers of Jesus who were Jews. While it was good that they embraced Jesus as the Messiah, not many of their brother and sister Jews were doing that. Most of them rejected Jesus as Messiah. But for those who did, some of them had a hard time letting go of their ways. One very specific part of the law that the letter of Galatians was written to address was an insistence by many of the believers that, well, Jesus is the way of salvation. You believe in him in faith. You are saved. But now you have to go get circumcised if you're not. (laughs) What? Wait a minute. No, why, why are we going back to the law? And there was a very strong insistence on this for a whole lot of reasons, and we'll, we'll get to the, the, specific, the specifics of Galatians in another time. But I say that to say this. There's a lot of similar themes in this letter of Romans and this letter of Galatians. And, and we're going to look at a couple of them. The first I want to point out is from chapter 2 of Galatians. So Christ's death is my death. All right? So from Romans 7.4, when it says, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, beginning at 19 down to 21. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So it's a very similar theme we see in his writing here to Romans and to the Galatians. I am crucified 
with Christ, to see ourselves, to, as some of the songs we sing talk about, to, 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 to see my sin upon him, upon that cross, as dying. Not in a sorrowful way, necessarily, of, about how much Jesus had to suffer for me, but, which, which is, of course, a sad, a sad moment in history, but it's also the sorrow within ourselves for our responsibility and culpability for the things that we've done. So we, we die with Christ. We die to the ways of the law. We die to that, that sin system that I, I drew out a little bit last week in the teaching. And we enter into something new and better. So we have to let go of one system, of one way of thinking, of one foundation, use whichever description is most helpful to you, and then embrace something new, something better, something that is life-giving. We want to live a life-giving life. The middle of verse 4 from Romans 7 down to verse 6. In order that we might Bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sin passions aroused by the law were at work, th- at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what, once, to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Here too, we have a direct connection with the book of Galatians in chapter 5. Uh, a familiar passage to many of you, when he talks there about bearing the fruit for God in Romans 7, 4, as opposed to bearing fruit for death. What does Galatians 5 teach us? Beginning at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So notice there it talks about fruit in both of these passages. And then also from from Romans 6.6 it says the new way of the Spirit. So where does this fruit come from? It is the fruit of the Spirit in step with the Spirit. That is life-giving. Think of these beautiful words. Love and joy and peace. Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do you have too much of any of those? Are you tired of any of them? I don't mean perhaps a little tired of of trying or, you know, and, and which is one of them, patience, okay? Um, but is, is there any situation that you have faced or currently facing or will face where these are not important? Is there any relationship with you in your life right now, whether it's in really good shape and, 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 and you connect with your friend, your loved one, um, whoever it might be, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your, your mother, your daughter, your brother, your sister, you, you feel good about that relationship and you're happy to be in their company and they are with you. Well, how'd that happen? 
How did it get there? Just luck of the draw? Just, oh, we happened to be friends one day and we connected and, you know. No, there is. there has to be some evidence there that, well, there's love and there, there, there's, there's peace and kindness toward one another and goodness. This is how relationships are built. This is how it happens. These are life-giving as opposed to what the law does. It just points out the problems. And so as, as followers of Jesus, when we depend on his spirit, and, and let go of the ways of, of the law and the ways of sin and, and embrace the way of the Father who leads with love. And remember, the entire time that you are lost in, trapped in, or blind to the sin in your life, there wasn't one moment where you were not loved by God, even then, no matter how bad it was for you, no matter how deep into it you were, no matter how far down in the ditch you were. Use whatever metaphor you'd like to describe your own darkness, your own difficulty, those moments you'd rather forget. You were never not loved. The prodigal son parable is so powerful because it demonstrates that. The God figure in that parable is the father. And the son is all of us who've walked away. All of us who've fallen into sin and have got ourselves into the pig slop somewhere. That son in that story was still loved while he was in the pig slop. But the father was waiting for him to turn, to come to his senses, it tells us in scripture, and then turn and come back. And he embraced him and threw a party for him. This is God's love for you. That's the kind of love that builds relationships in the people in your life. When you show kindness and goodness and have patience with them. It's not easy, is it? (laughs) Especially if they're not returning to you that kind of kindness and goodness and patience that you are extending to them. But nonetheless, hang in there. Keep going, because that is life-giving, the fruit of the Spirit. And then also the law is a diagnostic tool for the Spirit. We talked about this a little bit. Let's read down at verse 7, back to Romans 7, down to verse 12. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of, of Adam and Eve, and what happened when they broke the one rule. 
if you want to look at it somewhat um, sarcastically, you can look back and say, come on, Adam and Eve, you had one rule, one thing, and you blew it. And if I was Adam, I would have blew it too. And if you were Adam and Eve, you would have blew it too. Because there's something in us that just gets drawn to what we know is not in our best interest, but we still find ourselves there. And that's the sin condition. And so it's interesting too, and this kind of touches on a whole lot of very deep, deep, deep thoughts, deep matters. But um, if God hadn't told them not to eat from that tree, would they have been drawn to it? They had lots of trees in the garden. But there's that one. Ooh. He doesn't want us to. Why, why does he want us to eat from that one? Ooh, what's. Yeah, what's going on? And, and, and we can look more detail at that passage another time. And there's so many layers of that story, by the way. It, it is so big and huge. And uh, there's just the idea of it's, what, what's the tree called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, oh didn't they know? And they, did they want to know? And the serpent comes and tempts them. How? Well, God's holding out on you. See, he doesn't want you to know. But if you take this, you'll know. And, and that, that, that's all part of it. But, but Paul's drawing out that same point in the sense of what the law does. It says, here, try to not do that. Go ahead. And for you, it might be something that wouldn't make me stumble. But the things that make me stumble maybe wouldn't make you stumble. So there's some sins that kind of... They'll all get us eventually, some one thing or another at least. But it's that just that idea of once we're told we shouldn't, that broken part of ourselves says, yeah, let's try it anyway. I'm different. I'm the exception. I'm the one who's gonna get one who's going to get away with it. It won't hurt me. And as we talked about last week, that's one of the many lies that sin tells us, the sin system draws us in to keep us there, keep us trapped. So that's how the law diagnoses the problem. And then lastly, well, guess what? It's worse than you think. Down at the 13th verse, it says this, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. I said going into Romans, this is a very complex and deep and sometimes hard to understand book. This seventh chapter is the center of the hard part. <laughs> and, and verses like this, wait a minute, you got to read that a few times to try and figure it out. And so what, what's helpful sometimes is to, to, this is the New International Version I'm using, which I normally use. Um, I go to a different translation. Sometimes it's helpful, and I think this was. So let's go back to that 13th verse again. And this is what it says in the Phillips translation. This is 713 in Romans. It can scarcely be doubted that in reality the law itself is holy and the commandment is holy, fair and good. Can it be something that is in 
intrinsically good could mean death to me? No. What happened was this. Sin, at the touch of the law, was forced to express itself as sin. And that meant death for me. The contact of the law showed the sinful nature of sin. That, for me, was very helpful. Because here's what can happen. When, when, he, when he says there, as, as was translated in the New International Version, sin becomes utterly sinful, what our natural selves does, that is the natural part influenced by the sin nature, what that does is it, com- it does the comparison game. Okay, God, yeah, I know I have this one thing that I do or this one thing that I stumble at most often. It's not good. Uh, I'm trying my best to overcome it. But I'm not as bad as him or her. I'm not as bad as, you know, those, those murderers. I'm not as bad as those rapists. I'm not as bad as those molesters. I'm not as bad as. And, and so, so we p- play the comparison game. And that just sucks you back into the sin system. Because it, it also leads to another lie that when we stand before God after this life, then there's the scales. And so all of Paul Miller's good stuff is going to be stacked up on this side. And all of Paul Miller's bad stuff is going to be stacked up on this side. And boy, I sure hope there's more over here. So, all right, Paul, by my count, I'm making this up. I see uh, 13,400,000 good things. Over here on the bad side, I see 8,400,000 bad things. Okay, you're in. (laughs) That's what, and and that's the way we naturally think. Because quite often that's how people treat people. As long as you're good more than you're bad, I'll love you. As long as you're good more than you're bad, I'll be nice to you. You earned something. But when does the scale tip too far? Jesus took all of that and wiped it away. And he said, sin is utterly sinful. When anything touches me that draws me into that system, I'm broken completely. I'm just as broken as the worst of sinners. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote these awesome letters, called himself the worst of sinners. And I think all of us need to get to that place. Now, don't stay there, okay? Some people have no problem getting to the place. Yeah, that's me, the worst of sinners. I'm no good. I'm beaten up. I'm lousy. And then they just stay there and wallow in their own pity. That's not good either. But you have to get to the place where you admit your own failure, your own issues, your own problems, your own sins, but then go to the remedy from there. So this is what Paul is drawing out. Next week, as we pick up the, if you thought this part was complicated, wait till we get to the end of the seventh chapter. Read ahead, study it, pray about it, look into it, okay? It, It might be familiar to many of you, but Paul describes struggle with sin in great detail. Struggle with sin and what it's like and how mm, it's tough. And, and we'll, we'll come back to that.
next week. The law reveals what we are not, what we lack, what the, where the problem is, how broken we are, it reveals our false self. It is not capable of making us better, much less of revealing our true self. Our true self. The one Jesus died to save is not found through the law. It's found through faith in the one that, Jesus, that God sent, and that is Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. May the truth of your word go forth in our lives. May it touch us, change us, challenge us, inspire us, move us toward you. In your precious name, amen.